Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, which is at work within us. Illuminate your word to us this morning, we ask, so that we can respond rightly to it. We pray that in all things we'll do, do them for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we conclude our three weeks in 2 Corinthians eight and nine, as we've been thinking about generosity. Next week is harvest, as I've already said, and next week we'll be looking at um, our great big God and how big God is. But as we finish our weeks here in 2 Corinthians, I wonder what's been most challenging uh, to you. What has been most challenging to you in your life as we thought about generosity? as we thought about responding to the generosity of God. We've seen, uh, haven't we, that generosity is a matter of the heart. It's all to do with our hearts. Last week, we thought about uh, generosity and responding uh, as we serve one another in love. Well, this morning, you'll not be surprised that um, we'll see once again that generosity, it's a matter of the heart. There are two things as we finish uh, this series. Uh, The first thing will be why we give, and the second thing that we'll look at is uh, how we give. So why we give. Paul paints this picture of a farmer who goes out and sows his seed. Uh, And we know that when you sow a seed, something will grow and you will reap a harvest. It's that time of year where we know that and recognize that. And we also know that um, depending on how much seed you sow will depend, generally speaking, on how big the harvest will be. So if you're stingy with the seed, the har- you can't expect the harvest to be great. But if you're generous with the seed as the farmer goes out sowing, then he can expect to gather in a big harvest and Paul's making uh, using this illustration to make the point about generosity he's saying we've been given all that we've been given to then go and use it uh, and sow it and be generous with what we have He's saying, when you take what you have and you go and sow generously, you can expect to reap a great harvest. And that word in verse 6, generously, it's literally blessing. Those who are generous givers will reap generous blessing from God, both physically, materially, and spiritually. We know that's true as we survey the Scriptures. If we go into somewhere like Proverbs, uh, we read in chapter 3, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In chapter 11 of Proverbs, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. 
Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the words of Jesus. Given it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We see all the way through the scriptures that those who give generously will reap generous blessing from God. Isn't that an amazing promise? Somebody nod. It's an amazing promise that when we sow generously, God blesses us generously. Which is a little bit um, countercultural, isn't it? We know simple maths that uh, four take away two is two. When you take something away, you have less. But actually, as God's people, we read that as we give, God blesses us richly. And he gives us more so that we can then go and continue to give. God blesses us richly as his people. But don't misunderstand that. Don't think um, we can give and expect a huge wealth so that we can satisfy all that we want and desire. That is not at all uh, what God says. He doesn't say give and then I will reward you and richly bless you uh, so that you can consume everything that I give you. He says, give generously so that when I bless you richly, you will then continue to be generous with all that you have. And Paul goes on to show us that in the rest uh, of this chapter, verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Or in another translation, indeed, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able. He's literally, he has the power to make it happen. He is able to make all grace abound. God gives and his giving to us has no limits. The Lord is able uh, to meet all our needs and beyond that. He blesses us richly. Uh, He blesses us in abundant measure so that we will abound in every good work. The world says prosperity comes uh, from holding wealth not from giving it away. But the Christian gives to gain, believing and trusting the promises of God. Because giving and generosity is an act of faith. When we give, we're trusting that God will continue to provide for us, to provide for all our needs, that he has the ability to keep his promises that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or all that we think. We see in verse 9 and 10 that he is the one who supplies the seed and supplies the food to eat. 
Everything we have is from God. He gives us all that we have, not so that we can become hoarders, but so that we can sow generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will always supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The Lord will continue to supply all that we need and we respond by sowing generously. It reminds me of the parable of the rich fool in Luke's gospel. You'll remember that parable. He had a great harvest uh, and his barns weren't big enough. What, what shall I do with this great harvest? Well, I'll build bigger barns. And then he sat there uh, at the end of the day with these huge barns filled with his harvest. Uh, and he said, I've got everything I need. And what happened to the man in the parable? He died. The Lord took him that night and his barns were left filled. The point is that we're not to store up earthly treasure. We're to fill our barns in heaven. We're to store up heavenly treasure. And we do that as we so generously the things that we have been given. All that we have has come from God and the call is to be generous with what we have. And as we do that, he will bless us richly. He will fill our barns spiritually and he will continue to meet our needs physically. That's where the, the prosperity gospel people miss the point those people we see on the tv give uh, and you will be so wealthy you'll be able to buy that huge house and that fancy car and everything that you've ever desired yet that's not what god says he says all that you have has come from me then go and use that and sow that and give generously not not accumulate but give and then I will bless you richly so that you can continue to be generous with all that you have and verse 11 you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God the Lord will enrich us in every way. We will be made rich in every way. Why? So that we can be generous with all that he gives us. Spurgeon says, God has a way of giving by the cartloads to those who give away by shovelfuls. That is what we see in Scripture. That is what we're promised. That as we give, God will bless us richly. And the cycle continues as we sow and give generously. As we give, as we sow generously, the needs uh, of those people are met. So you'll remember there's a collection going on for the church in Jerusalem. And as uh, the Corinthian Christians give and as the Macedonian churches give, uh, those needs of the Jerusalem church are met uh, by the generosity of the believers. 
And then we see this response as this gift uh, is given. What does it produce? It produces thanksgiving to God. It leads to God being glorified. And isn't that what we want to see? And isn't that what we want to happen in all that we do, including our giving and our generosity? In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And we see that here. Paul is confident that as this gift goes to the Jerusalem church, that the response will be thanksgiving to God and God will be glorified for what he has done. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you approved yourselves, others will praise God. That is the response. They see at God's generosity, they see God's people being generous, and it leads people to giving thanks and praise to God. As the Corinthians gave, as they were generous, it proved uh, their faith. You remember uh, a few weeks back, uh, Paul wanted them to prove their love as they gave uh, to this collection. And we see it again here as, it, as, Paul, as Paul talks about their obedience to the gospel. As they give generously, it shows their obedience to Christ because the gospel produces obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in one of his books, said this, No one can say yes to God's way who has said no to his promises and commandments. Acceptance of the will of God comes in the daily submission under his word. We read in 1 John 3, at 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth as they saw the need of the Jerusalem church, as they gave generously at that gift to help and meet their needs, they proved their love for God and for their brother and sister in Christ. They were not mere listeners to the word, they were doers of the word. And God is glorified as his people live those obedient, generous lives so why do we give well, we give in response to what God has given to us we trust the promises of God and as we give that is an act of faith it's an act of obedience so that we and all uh, who see that will give thanks and praise uh, to God and glorify him. And Paul reminds us again uh, of the gift that God has given us, the ultimate uh, gift in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the gift of Jesus. What a gift Jesus is 
to the world. He left at the glory of heaven and came to this earth, died on that cross for us. We read it uh, a few weeks ago. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What a great gift that God has given us, the ultimate gift of Jesus. And that is why we respond in generosity to him. But how are we to give? That is why, that is some, some of the reasons why we're to give, but how are we to give? Well, I don't know if, if you've ever heard anything like this, but in some of the churches that I've been in in the past or been part of in the past, I've often heard things uh, when it comes to giving, uh, things like this uh, have been said. Christians are to give a tithe. You're to give a tenth of all you have. God only requires 10%. You get to keep 90% of all that you have. There are there's some of the things that I've heard in the past, and I'm sure they're common things that are said uh, in churches. But I, I actually think the use of a tithe is a misunderstanding. I don't think it's helpful uh, for us as we think about giving and generosity. In the Old Testament, the tithe uh, was like a tax on uh, the Jewish nation. So there was a tithe for the Levites, for the priests. They acted sort of like the government of the nation of Israel. Then there was a tax uh, for the religious festivals. Uh, and then there was a third tax, which was to meet the needs of the poor. So already we've got three tithes. The first two happened every year. Uh, and then the, the third one for the poor, for the relief of the poor, was a collection made every three years. So who's quick at maths? What are we up to? 23 and a third every year? So already we see that the tithe, as we traditionally think of as being 10% of all that we have, well, actually, when we start to look at the tithes, we're already at 23 and a third percent. And that was required uh, of the people. But we also see that the people uh, made a free will offering on top of that. So you remember in Exodus, when we went through the book of Exodus, and they came to the point of building the tabernacle. And Moses asked the people to give, make a free will offering uh, to the building of the tabernacle. Gold, silver, linen, cotton, all skills, all that sort of stuff. They were asked to give it freely. And do you remember what happened? They gave so much that Moses had to tell the people to stop giving. They'd given so much that Moses said, stop. We've got enough. We've got more than enough. They saw this free will offering as a privilege, not as an obligation. And I think that's more helpful for us as we think about giving 
uh, and generosity. We shouldn't limit ourselves to 10%. We, we're called to be generous with all that we have. And so, uh, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're back to the heart. Because generosity, it's a matter of the heart. Giving is always free, freely given. Giving is always a free offering. And, it, and Paul says, you must each. This is something each of us should do. We each should decide in our hearts. We should be purposeful in our giving, in our generosity. We shouldn't really be impulsive or careless. It shouldn't be an afterthought. We're to be thoughtful. We're to plan as we give and are generous with all that we ha have. We're to decide in our hearts what it is that we can give. But to give um, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Giving shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be with grief or with sorrow. We shouldn't give with remorse or regret that we've given. And we should never feel guilted into giving, whether that's financially or whether that's with our time or with our skills or whatever it is. Instead, this is what God wants. He wants cheerful givers. He wants it to be a joy-filled experience as we give. He wants us to see it as a privilege as we give of ourselves and all that we have. He wants us to delight in being generous. It should be a delight for us to give of our time, of our talents, of our money, of our skills, of our abilities. And as we do that, God blesses us. God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that amazing to hear? God loves somebody who gives cheerfully. There's a special uh, love there. We become a special object of God's love as we give cheerfully, as we give joyfully as we give with a heart that is filled with delight. Giving generosity is always done freely. And so, Andy, shut your ears for a minute as our treasurer, but if you give reluctantly, if you feel like you give under compulsion, if there's a regret and a joylessness as you give uh, to the gospel work at Trinity and here in Accrington, then stop giving. Don't give. And his heart's skipping a beat as I say that. Stop giving. Because that is not how we're to give and how we're to be generous. We're to be cheerful. We're to be joyful. We're to see it as a privilege as we give. Unless that is us. 
then stop giving. When it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous, it must be done with the right heart, with the right attitude. Because generosity, it's a matter of the heart. And so as we come to a close in, in our series uh, on a Sunday morning, small groups will continue to work their way through the generosity project. And there'll be opportunities for us to respond in generosity to God's generosity to us. Let's spend a, a moment or two in quiet, reflecting on all that we've heard in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Let's reflect on how the Lord has challenged us as individuals, as a church. How has He been at work in our hearts as we thought about generosity? Uh, how does God want us to respond? So let's spend a moment in quiet, thinking about those things, praying and asking God uh, to show us, and then I'll close us in prayer in a moment.